Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word with your people here. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to uh, take a look in, the, in your bulletin and we are going through the book of Colossians and on page 7 is the text that we'll deal with today. Particularly those first uh, first paragraph, verses 16 through uh, 19. We've been talking about how Christ is supreme and Christ is sufficient. That that is the major theme of this book. There's a beautiful mountain lake in Montana that my brother-in-law takes me to when we visit them. And this, uh, this lake is, you have to hike to get to this lake, so it's quite uh, isolated. Um, it's nestled in pine trees. Uh, it's below the base of a mountain, and there's a waterfall that comes down from this mountain. I mean, it's just idyllic. Uh, parts of the water, I mean, are crystal blue. Other parts of the water are different shades of aqua blue. And because it's quite isolated, not a lot of pe- people fish there, so the fishing's really good. Little taste of paradise. But in order to get there, you have to hike quite a bit. And then there's one section of the hike where you cross this, this stream, this ravine, and below is the stream. It's probably six to eight feet drop. And you've got to cross this on a bridge that's just constructed by some logs. And there's no rails on either side and so I mean it's about a three feet in, in width so it's it's not too dangerous but you have to stay centered or you could fall to the right or to the left as you walk across this bridge I think that's kind of a, a good image maybe of the Christian life and how we grow as Christians I mean this hike it's it's worth The hike, it's worth crossing that bridge to get to the destination. But you have to stay centered. And there are things in the Christian life that can tempt us to get off balance, to get off track, and not to reach our destination. And in this passage that we're looking at today, again, that's listed uh, on page 7 in your bulletin, Colossians 2, verses 16 through uh, through 23, but I'm going to focus on that first section of it. Paul talks about two common ways that Christians can get off balance. That churches can go off balance. And one way is through legalism. And the other way is through mysticism. And so let's look at what he talks about here. First he talks about the path of legalism. That is trying to pursue spiritual growth by following laws. And in the the church at Colossae, This legalism took the form of a return to the Torah, to the law of Moses. There were teachers who were saying we need to go back to the Torah. And you can see that here. Uh, Look at verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink. So we'll stop right there. The first sign of legalism. And we know that in the Old Testament, in the Torah... There were laws around what you could eat. The kosher laws. 
listed in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 11 talks about clean and unclean food. So pork, as we know, pork is considered unclean according to these laws. And so um, that's one of the things it seems people are wanting to bring back in these food laws, these kosher laws into this community. Or he says, in respect to a festival or a new moon. So there were certain days prescribed in the Torah for feast and for celebration. Our Jewish friends and neighbors just celebrated Yom Kippur this week. One of those central festivals, the Day of Atonement. That's listed in the Levitical law, in the Torah. He says, so don't let anybody judge you in regard to these things, food or drink or respect to festivals or new moons or a Sabbath day. And of course, Sabbath keeping was and is central to Jewish identity. And at the time of Christ and the apostles, the rabbis had developed all kinds of laws and regulations around keeping the Sabbath. So what was happening in this church that there were teachers who said, it's great that you have come to faith in Christ. But now, in, the, in order to grow spiritually, you need to add something to that faith in Christ. You need to go back to the Torah. Go back to these Jewish laws. And, uh, and you will demonstrate by your faithfulness to these laws that you're faithful to God. So there was a, there was a giving them the benefit of the doubt, a sincere motive to want to please God. And people who are tempted to go this route, again, giving them the benefit of the doubt, there's a, there's a desire to please God in the keeping of the law. But, uh, but Paul, as we'll see in just a moment, gives reasons why this is dangerous. By the way, this is still happening today. There are teachers who say to the church, you want to know the problem of the modern church? People have forgotten to keep the law of Moses. It was never meant to be done away with. And they'll say, yes, we believe that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Except they'll say Yeshua, most likely. Yes, we believe that you're saved by grace through faith in Yeshua. But in order to demonstrate that you're faithful to God, that you're not a sinner, that you're not a lawless person, you need to keep the Torah too. I had an acquaintance that I grew up with in a youth group around here who became one of these Torah teachers and actually had a very large following. I think tens of thousands of people downloaded his videos and he was coming to people with this message. You know what's messing in your spiritual growth? You know what's messing in your church? Torah keeping, law keeping. And so it still goes on today. Well, what does Paul, the apostle, Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, I mean, now here is somebody who knew the law inside and out, who lived it. A lot of these Torah teachers today, they're Gentiles. They don't know the law and they don't know what it's like to live under the law like Paul did. I mean, if you're going to listen to somebody break down NFL plays, do you want to hear it from Tom Brady? Or do you want to hear it from somebody who maybe was a Division three college football player? I mean, Paul was the expert in the Jewish law. He knew the Jewish law inside and out. He was, as he says, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was an elite when it came to understanding and living the Jewish law. 
And here's what he says. Here's what this expert in the Torah says about the Torah now that Christ has come. Verse 17. These laws are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Or literally it says the body belongs to Christ. So these laws foreshadowed the work of Christ. But now Christ has come. We all drove to church. Today your cars are sitting out there in the parking lot. And I can see the shadows of the car out there in the parking lot. When you get home, do you want to drive in the shadow? Or do you want to drive in the car? The body of the thing. The reality is here. God gave the law in Old Testament times under the Old Covenant to serve a good purpose. It was good. And it served a good purpose in its day. But part of that purpose was to foreshadow the coming of Christ who fulfills the law. And, and it's important. I'm going to just take a little moment here to make a distinction that's important for us. Theologians make a distinction between the moral law and the ceremonial law. The moral law of the Old Testament are things like thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We are still under the moral law. Those moral laws are repeated in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. But we're not under the ceremonial law that was given to, given to the Jews, a particular people, to set them apart from other nations. Those things foreshadowed the work of Christ. They were shadows, but now, Paul says, the body is here. And as one commentator says, William Hendrickson, why trust the shadow when the body that was casting the shadow has come? That is Christ. So just take one example here. The food laws. God gave these kosher laws to the Jewish people. And one of the reasons that he gave them so that they would be set apart from other nations. So that they would be holy. That's part of what it means to be a holy. It's to be set apart. And these food laws set them apart from their neighbors. But Jesus, when he came, he said, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's not the food that makes you unclean. Okay? What makes you unclean, Jesus said, is what comes from your heart. Because out of your heart comes evil thoughts and coveting and sensuality and pride. Out of your heart comes sin and that's what makes you unclean. And so, in saying this, according to Mark 7, Jesus declared all food clean. We're not under the kosher laws. We're free. If you like bacon, you can say amen at this point. <laughs> We're not under these laws. And so, um, Paul, who was an expert in the law, says it's been fulfilled. These ceremonial laws have been fulfilled. Here's a problem with legalism. Not only does it take the focus off of Christ and what he's already done to fulfill the law, looking to the law for righteousness and spiritual growth rather than Christ, but it breeds a certain attitude. And he, see, and he mentions it here. And that is judgmentalism. It can breed judgmentalism. You see what he says at verse 16? No one is to act as your judge. No one, Gentile Christians, gets to judge you according to their man-made legalistic rules. 
No one gets to sit in this seat of judgment. You have one judge, and that is God. So, in some circles even today, there are rules around what you can drink and what you can wear as a Christian and even who you should vote for. There's pressure in these kinds of areas that are man-made, extra-biblical rules, regulations. If they're not explicit, sometimes it's just part of a culture of a church. In other circles, people can get very legalistic about worship style and worship music and go beyond, far beyond what Scripture teaches. And Paul warns us here, don't go off the path. Don't fall off the log. Stay centered on Christ. Legalism breeds judgmentalism and takes your focus off of Christ who fulfilled the law. So that's one way to go off the path. Here's another way, he says, another way to fall off the log, and that is mysticism. An emphasis on mystical experience. And I would define this as an overemphasis on an immediate experience with God. An overemphasis on an immediate experience with God and not seeking to encounter God through the means he has given us. His word, his sacrament, the church. And so Paul talks about this here. He says, take care that no one keeps defrauding you of your prize. Again, this idea of somebody who's judging. That, that line actually comes from athletic contests. There were judges, there were umpires who, would, who could disqualify somebody. And he's saying, don't let anybody do that to you spiritually because you've not had these kinds of experiences. Don't let anyone judge you and say you're not worthy of salvation or you're not really spiritual and then he says, by delighting in humility, and there I think he means false humility, and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he's seen. And part of the spiritual mix in the first century, in some strains of Judaism and certainly in pagan spirituality, was angel worship, angel veneration. Or appealing to the angels for protection, or appealing to spiritual entities for protection or power. This was part of the spiritual mix in Paul's day in the first century. And today in the New Age movement, this is still something that occurs and is quite prevalent. Looking for angels to help you or spiritual guides. Or not to look to angels. Or not to pray to angels. Or invoke any other spiritual being for protection and guidance. But God alone. Everything else is idolatry. God alone. So he says, this is, this is going on here. People are uh, invoking angels. And then he says, taking his stand, th 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 these folks are taking their stand on visions they have seen. Again, a big part of first century spirituality in the pagan world was, you know, there were these Basically, spiritual clubs. They were called mystery cults or mystery religions. And they were dedicated to different gods and goddesses in the first century. And in order to belong to these spiritual clubs, you know, some would be dedicated to the god of, of you know, Aphrodite or, and, or, or another, uh, another goddess, maybe to, to Venus. But they all had these different gods and goddesses that they were dedicated to. And part of the initiation into these spiritual clubs was to have a visionary experience of the god or goddess. And they would do this in the temples and, and they would seek these experiences. 
And, uh, and that's what's happening here, it seems. That some teachers were saying, you need to have these sort of visions. How much false teaching, how much bad theology has been promoted by people claiming to have a private vision, a private revelation. If we had time, we could just talk about a whole list. We could probably just go around the room and share a list of different religious groups and false teachers and cults who have started by this very thing, taking their stand on visions, private revelations. And the problem is, here's why Paul warns against it. He says, again, not only does it lead you away from Christ, but what kind of attitude is promoted by this spirituality? Look at what he says. Those who are taking their stand on visions they have seen inflated without cause, puffed up without cause by his fleshly mind. In other words, pride. Pride is, is, is the fruit of of a spirituality that puts too much emphasis on mystical experience. Judgmentalism is the fruit of a legalistic spirituality. Pride is the fruit of a mystical spirituality. And somebody has said, mysticism begins in mist and ends in schism. Because people begin to say, well, I've had this experience and you haven't, so I'm more mature than you are. Or our church really knows how to encounter God because of these sorts of mystical things. And your church isn't maybe even a true church because you don't have this, you see. Paul was not against mystical experience. Paul had mystical experiences. Paul had a mystical vision in 2 Corinthians 12 where he said he had a vision of heaven, the dwelling place of God. But then what did God do? Remember what God did after he had this mystical vision? He gave him what? A thorn in the flesh. And the purpose of the thorn in the flesh was to humble him so he would not be conceited based on his experience. Any spirituality that increases judgmentalism or pride does not reflect the spirit of Christ which is a spirit of mercy and humility and so Paul says let's not lose connection with Christ here don't fall off the log stay centered on Christ keep going forward with Christ not into legalism not into mysticism hold fast to Christ who is the head of the church see that in verse 19 the problem is not holding fast to the head that is Christ. Christ is the head of the church from whom the entire body being supplied and held together with the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. A growth which is from God. Do we want true spiritual growth? I do. I do. I want true spiritual growth. I don't want something manufactured. I don't want something man-made. I do want to know God. I do want to grow in the things of God. How do I do that? Paul says right here, you can grow. We do grow spiritually as we hold fast to Christ. Because from Christ flows the life of God, as he's been saying throughout this book, in Christ is the fullness of God. In Christ, the fullness of God dwells bodily. So if you want to grow in God... Cling to Christ because from Him flows the life of God. 
In our gospel reading, the lepers were cleansed. They were healed when they put their faith in Christ. Not their faith in faith. Not their faith in their own faith. Not their faith in angels. Not their faith in man-made rules. But they saw Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And they knew that from Him was coming this power. And the object of faith was Christ. And that's why they were clean. That's why they were healed. That's what we should do. Stay firmly connected to the head. Dr. Paul Brand, in his book, The Likeness of God, writes about how the head, how the brain, communicates to the rest of the body through nerve cells. And some of you know this because you're in the medical field. But I found this very interesting and helpful. And he said that these nerve cells can be broken down into two main divisions. The way out cells and the way in cells. The way out cells that are communicating to the rest of the body. And the way in cells that communicate information to the brain. And he gave this analogy. He said, now, if a person is paralyzed, if they're paraplegic, this person, she can lay in bed all day long and plot how to move her toe. And she can exert great mental energy to will her toe to move. But unfortunately, because the way out cells have been damaged, that communication has been broken. She can plot this, she can plan it, she can exert mental energy, but that toe is not going to move until that connection is restored. Because the communication has broken down. And he makes this point, in the spiritual body, if we're going to grow in healthy spiritual ways, we must rely on the messages that stream down from Christ the head. By God's grace, we have to maintain connection to the head, to Christ. And what does that mean practically for us? How does it happen? How do we stay connected to Christ? When we hear and receive the word of Christ in Scripture and being preached. When we claim and feed on the promises of Christ given to us in the sacraments. When we stay connected to the body of Christ, the church. These are the places where God promises to meet His people. And I urge you to do it today. Wherever you're at spiritually, don't look for shortcuts. Can you look back on your life and say, you know what? I have grown with a growth from God and it's because of Christ. And I'm thankful for it today. And there may be some people here, younger people too. I want to really say this to younger people today. Those of us who are older, we've seen these trends come and go in the church. People claiming, okay, you need to have this. This is what is messing and it can take you away from Christ. Is it getting you closer to Christ and His Word or not? That's the question. Stay connected to Christ and the growth will come. The growth will come. God in His own time and in His own way will give you the growth. Trust this promise. I heard that a bamboo tree hardly grows for the first three or four years and then suddenly it shoots up. It can shoot up to like 90 feet in 60 days. The, the growth is at work. You don't always see it. It's the same thing in the spiritual life. 
you stay close to Christ and cling to Him and His Word, you will bear much fruit for His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us to do that. To not go to the right or to the left, to not get off balance, but to stay centered on Christ and connected to the head where He's revealed Himself to us in His Word. We thank you, God, for these warnings and this instruction that can help us grow into maturity for your glory. We pray that you help us to do that. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.